Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. We're going to be talking with Clay Travis from Outkick the Coverage. He wrote a great piece for Fox Sports about the revenues for the different networks, the SEC network, the Pac-12 network, Big Ten, where the Pac-12 lands and what kind of discrepancy is between all that. So we're going to get to all that today. He wrote some great stuff and hope you guys enjoy what he has to say about all that. If you have any questions or comments for our show, you can drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can call the number 641-715-3900, and our voicemail box is 816-646. You can leave a voicemail right there or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page, and you can leave a voicemail right from your computer. All right, we're joined by a very special guest on the Peristyle Podcast, Clay Travis. Uh, You can read him on Outkick the Coverage. It's outkickthecoverage.com. Great blog covering the SEC and college football, and you can also see him on Fox Sports, Fox Sports 1. He's the author of the Dixieland Delight and, of course, on Rocky Top. My wife loves him, Clay Travis, because he's a, he's a Tennessee guy like my wife is. Clay, what's going on, man? How you doing? Doing well. How about you? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Also, you can follow him on Twitter, at ClayTravisBGID. And uh, Clay, Clay and I go back uh, several years. That, like I said, through my wife, that's how I got to uh, meet him. He's been out to L.A. a few times. I got to see him in uh, Tennessee and uh Wrote a really interesting piece for Fox Sports uh, recently on the uh, the networks and the SEC network versus the P- Pac-12 networks. We wanted to get you on and kind of talk about that a little bit, if that's okay. Yeah, no, I, look, I think this stuff is fascinating, and uh, I've written a lot about the SEC network. I I try to have some clue what's going on with the business side of what I do, um, and uh, I think I'm uh, intelligent enough to talk about it, but far from it. Uh, economic expert which probably makes it easier for people to read what i'm writing because i'm not uh, confusing them with too much uh, too much intelligence <laughs> uh, the intelligence stuff is funny so if you haven't read or seen clay you should definitely check him out he he's on tv a lot with our friend bruce feldman uh on fox sports one and uh really you're great at, at riling up the fan bases especially in the sec and your lists about the most uh the, the least intelligent fan bases and stuff. If people haven't checked that out on uh, Outkick the Cover, you definitely should. You seem to have a lot of fun with that. When you go on Paul Feinbaum and stuff, they just love they love to hate you, Clay. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, I don't take myself too seriously and I don't take sports too seriously because for the most part, at least in my experience, sports is an escape. Uh it's where people go when uh the other serious things in their lives they have to worry about. You want to sit down kick back and be able to enjoy a game for three or four hours. And obviously college football is great because you can compete uh, as a fan basically all year round with recruiting and uh, everything else associated with it. And uh, a big part of it obviously is the internet before the internet, a big part of it was cable because you suddenly had a lot more hours to fill to allow those, uh, those cravings and, and interests in sports to be, uh, to be kind of embraced in a way you're roughly my age too. I mean, you I'm sure remember, getting up in the morning and not knowing who won a game the night before. And so you'd sit down and watch sports center and how cool that was. And, uh, you know, nowadays my kids expect that they can watch any game at any point, any time and place. And, uh, it's a lot different than it was when we were kids. It, it, the, the, the media evolution and, and revolution, if you want to call that is just happening so quickly. Now I think it's hard to even know where we'll be in five years. 
It is. And, uh, but if you know, you look at all the different channels out there, we've seen, you know, Longhorn Network, you know, I know you've written about that and there's some, you know, potential disaster stuff going on there. The Big Ten Network's been around a long time and, uh, the SEC network, you know, the Pac-12 network, you know, the problems with distribution they have. But if you want a, a, a blueprint of how to do it right, I mean, looking from the outside in on the SEC network, when you start it up from day one and you make sure that there's a, you know, college football, all 14 teams would have a major college football game, I think in the first month or something like that. They made sure that every distribution channel would want to pick up the SEC network or all these fan bases were going to be completely upset. I mean, I think when they launched the network, you know, with partnered with ESPN, they knew what they were doing, and and you could argue it's the most successful launch that we've seen. It is the most successful launch of any cable channel in the history of media, uh, which uh, maybe in years to come we'll look back as the high water mark of cable. But the SEC is now in seventy million homes, and uh, one of the things that's kind of difficult to parse a lot of times is the PR spin has gotten pretty adept at saying available and meaning. You can go out and buy it, but you might not necessarily have it. The SEC is actually in, according to them, 70 million homes now. Um, and to put that into context, I think ESPN's in like 92 million homes. And you may have the numbers in front of me right now, but DirecTV and the, the dispute with Pac-12 Network and everything else has led to the Pac-12 Network really not being very well distributed at all. Yeah, the SEC, uh, ESPN, at least in the, the article, had 94.5 million homes, SEC uh, almost 70 million homes, which is crazy. The Big Ten, not far behind, 62 million homes, and the, and the Pac-12 way behind, all the way at number 15 at 12.3 million homes. So what I mean, what this, if people want to go check out the column, and our Dan Weber from uscfootball.com kind of wrote a, a piece uh, this week too, you know, and, and referencing Clay's column, all the great work that you did, but it's so far behind. With the SEC network, the, the revenues are almost $550 million, and you're just about 10 times what the Pac-12, uh, you know, Pac-12 is making at $57.6 million. So it's, I, the yeah, difference. Those are numbers from, from SNL Kagan, who I should give credit to for uh, providing all that data. They're not a hundred percent accurate at all moments of every day, but it's a pretty good, you know, detailed ex- examination of exactly what the Pac-12 is facing. And, uh, you know, when, when you really break down the piece that I wrote this week, all of this is against this backdrop, which is just fascinating to me. And it is the question of, will the cable and satellite bundle endure? And I'm sure a lot of your listeners are are as clueless as I was five or six years ago about exactly what the business of cable or satellite was. You have DirecTV, Dish Network, Comcast, Time Warner, whoever you've got, you pay a, a monthly fee, and you don't really think about what that channel costs or what the overall structure is associated with that. And uh, to me, I was blown away when I realized that ESPN now is, uh, one, the most expensive channel in all of cable, and two, it's the most expensive channel by a substantial margin. Every single person who has pretty much cable or satellite subscription is paying ESPN $6.61 a month. Wow. The next most expensive channel, I believe, is TNT, which is $1.65 a month. Holy so cow. So you look at that. Yeah, and ESPN has by far the most invested and at stake in the continuation of the cable sports bundle, and people say, why? And the answer is because everybody pays that, even if they're not sports fans. And uh, and that's something that I think most people really don't think about. But if you break it down, your aunt who doesn't like sports at all, or your uncle or your uh, whoever it is, if they've got a decent-sized cable subscription, pretty much any cable or satellite subscription for that matter, They've got ESPN, whether they watch it or not, they're paying around $80 a year for it. 
I mean, that's absolutely crazy, the numbers. And I'm, I'm wondering how this develops, Clay, because you talked about, you know, the kids being able to consume. I mean, you know, there's podcasts, there's all, you know, you can watch stuff on Hulu. Unless it's live sports, like I'm really paying for cable, it seems like to me, or, or I, I have Verizon Fios. Um, I love the internet they have, but am I paying for live sports? Like my wife will watch a lot of HGTV and stuff like that. You can watch that. I mean, that's, that's not live. It doesn't really matter. If you want to pick and choose and do a la carte stuff, as long as it's not live, it seems like you can do that. So with, with the grandma at home that doesn't watch ESPN paying $7 a month for it, I could see them kind of getting rid of that at some point. But for us, the live sports consumer, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of options there. No, the bundle is a great deal for sports fans because our content is the most expensive and what we effectively get is subsidized by non-sports fans. So if you had to, and this is the, the big question, I saw another report today, uh, one reporter says $30, uh, another says $36 a month. That's what ESPN would cost if they had to pay just for ESPN, if you just had to pay just for ESPN over the top and, uh, and, and subscribe to it directly. $36 a month, uh, which is a crazy amount. Uh, almost, you know, a third of what the, over a third of what the average full cable bill is now. And that's why I tend to say the bundle is a pretty good deal because it ultimately leads to everybody subsidizing everybody else's favorite shows. You talked about your wife, Jana, who's a, an awesome person and she, uh, you know, say she sits around and watches HDTV. My <laughs> wife sits around and watches a lot of Bravo, uh, at the Real Housewives or, oh, or yeah. whatever that show's called. Uh, yeah, she sees all those. Uh, my kids watch Sprout and, uh, Disney Channel on demand and all these other different stations. And so everybody's subsidizing everybody else's channels. The end result is you end up with better shows in theory, but you rarely watch most of the channels you have. I mean, you get the average uh, consumer watches 17 channels uh, a month and gets 120 or more. So, you know, a small fraction of your available entertainment options are you actually able to, uh, to take. And that makes sense. We only have so much time in a day. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I always thought, well, maybe a la carte would be better. I didn't realize that the, the a la carte that I would want would be the <laughs> most expensive. So maybe. Most expensive parts. <laughs> yeah. And everybody kind of thinks that, like, uh, the a la carte seems great. Like you should be able to go onto a website and say, okay, I want this channel. I want that one. And then everybody gets their own individual bundle. Uh, and it ends up costing whatever it does. You might have six stations. You might have 600. Um, and, uh, but, but the reality is, uh, based on the math that I've done and people that I've talked to, their belief is that if the bundle ever disappears, it's one, going to be crippling to a lot of stations, ESPN included, but two, it's going to make it really difficult for you to be able to put together all of the stations that you need to watch the games that you want to watch. And, uh, you know, as an easy example, I, I said ESPN is $6.60 a month. Uh, you have to then go out and also buy ESPN2 for some of their games. Uh, like you said, Pac-12 Network, maybe you want to get it, SEC Network, FS1, um, you know, ESPNU, uh, it, it just adds up. And then I know you, you're in LA where this battle's been going on a ton and I'm out there enough to be paying attention to it. And I think it's finally somewhat resolved, but all these individual sports teams appearing on different stations and the Dodgers is obviously the best example in LA. You can't even get that channel for the majority of, uh, of last season. It was impossible to find. So, uh, you'd have to buy that, that channel individually too. And if there's multiple local regional sports networks in your market that carry, let's say the Lakers and the Clippers and, LA Kings or whatever it is, those are really expensive stations too, just on a regional basis. So there's not an easy answer here. And uh, there's a lot of money. And I say it's a trillion dollar question. How is cord cutting going to impact this thing? Because ESPN's lost 7 million subscribers over the, uh, over the last uh, four years. And it's just going to accelerate. If it does, then their business model is severely hampered. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, for the, the consumers of this, like you're, you're talking about the LA market. Like I can't watch the Dodgers. Not that I'm a huge Dodger fan, but I like watching baseball. I grew up playing baseball. I can't watch the Dodgers. I can't watch the Pac 12 network and I live in LA. I get the SEC network and I'll watch Fine Bomb when my wife wants to throw it on and stuff like that. So I can get that in LA yeah. and I can't get this, some of this local stuff, which is kind of crazy, but I, I don't know what the solution is for the Pac 12 network because they do it differently. Uh, the SEC network is teamed up with ESPN. The Big Ten is teamed up with Fox. The Pac 12 and Larry Scott decided to do it on their own, which, you know, probably isn't their area of expertise and distribution has been a real problem for them. Maybe partnering with one of those distribution outlets would have been better. Well, I think it would have initially. And that gets into the question though, in eight years, Larry Scott could look like a genius if everybody's going over the top and he doesn't have to share any of his situation, any of his revenue with any other over the top network. And you can just go directly. And if you, Ryan, want to subscribe to the Pac-12 network, you go ahead and sign up for it. You stream it right through your, uh, right through your computer and, and, and everything else. I mean, I think that over the top is going to become a big deal in the, in the, in the short term. And maybe it would have made sense long term too. It's just hard to project exactly what's going to happen. I, I think Pac-12 network should have partnered with Fox. I mean, that's just my personal belief. I mean, you look at the success that Fox had with the Big Ten network. Um, and, uh, they had some battles there and everything else, but it just makes a lot of sense, I think, for the Pac-12 network to have gone ahead and partnered with, uh, the, the company based out in California. Uh, that already has a lot of their games. Uh, they've already done a good job with the Big Ten Network. And if they didn't want to do it with Fox, then they could certainly have done it with uh, with ESPN, which uh, we'll see whether or not the ACC is going to follow through with uh, their attempted launch of a network. It's kind of curious. You know, I guess you could add a new station and everything else. But part of me wonders whether some of these other uh, networks that maybe are not making that much money but exist out there and don't have a lot of viewers, is it possible that somewhere down the line, uh, ESPN News, let's say, decides, you know what, let's go ahead and create this and make it the ACC network? Uh, could FS2 make more sense as the Pac-12 network as well as, as FS2? I, I don't know. I, I, there are people a lot smarter than me with better business sense who sit around and think about these things. Uh, but to me, that would probably be the, the best way to get immediate distribution to, done on a, on a more global scale in the country, uh, a, a more nationwide scale. Yeah, you know, I agree with you on the Fox stuff. They're so ingrained out here on the West Coast, and it's just been more of like kind of a West Coast company. It seemed to to work really well. And Larry Scott, you know, he's, he's certainly taking a risk by owning everything. But you know, the the schools are leaving or are, are are losing out. You know, it's already distributed evenly, which I think like the USC's and the UCLA UCLA's of the world don't like because you know you're up in Pullman, Washington, Washington State's getting the same rev share as as USC or UCLA does being in Los Angeles, the major media market. But, you know, having that, you know, fully owned and having this long-term deal, which 12 years, I know, it, I think the, the metric is something like, you know, it should double every five years. They're locked in for, for a long time for the Pac-12 network. It, it seems like he could be, you know, a genius down the road, but more likely more people I talk to, Clay, it seems like, you know, maybe they made some bad decisions going forward. He just wanted to kind of make a big splash with this multi-billion dollar television deal that five, six, seven years from now, it could be, you know, you're looking at you. Know, you've left a lot of money on the table. You could have re-upped and, and had a lot more money. Yeah, and uh, and also think about the costs. I mean, I haven't been to the studios, but I know guys who have been up there to work quite a bit. And the Pac-12 studios are incredible, but you, they, they also are incredibly expensive. And uh, whereas, let's say the SEC and uh, and ESPN basically came in and took over a big wing of their already existing studios in Charlotte, and they built out a lot of different campus events and everything else. But ESPN was on the hook for a lot of the costs associated with that. 
uh, the Pac-12, you know, with the benefit they get to reap uh, the profits, but they also have a lot of fixed costs at the beginning. So uh, it's a uh, it, it's a real battle to figure out the long-term financial impact. And what you just hit on is, I think, kind of a big deal. Now we don't know what's going to happen with cord cutting and the cable uh, and, and television bundle, but assuming let's let's just assume that it, it's going to stay fairly similar for the next five years, that everybody's not going to suddenly say we're not going to have cable or satellite subscriptions. What you're going to see is a real crazy amount of money that's coming into SEC schools from the SEC network. And the Big Ten network is obviously a success as well. And what it's very hard at this point for schools to be growing their overall income substantially outside of television unless they're doing, say, what Texas A&M is doing, where they turn a 78,000-seat stadium or whatever it was into a 108,000-seat stadium, and they get that additional revenue from 25 or 30,000 seats. Most big programs are pretty much tapped out, right? They're not expanding their stadiums a great deal. Maybe they can add a few more luxury suites, things like that. Television is where the real growth money is coming from. And I think what you're going to see is a substantial gap between the SEC and the Big Ten and the other three schools in terms of the overall revenue that they're producing on the, on the television side. No, I think that's, and, and that's recruiting. I mean, that's going to come back to, there's a lot of ways that can impact this, the whole landscape of college football. It's changing all the time, but yeah, I mean, if you're having schools making 10, 20 million dollars a year or more than a other school because of the television contract and just that network, I mean, that's significant money and that's significant changes to the program. And really big deal for schools like, I mean, look, the, the reality is Alabama, Florida, Tennessee, LSU, uh, Georgia, the blue blood programs in the SEC are always going to have a lot of money because they have so many fans. But what's crazy to me and didn't get a lot of attention was school like Ole Miss, uh, getting the SEC network money and having it equalized to everybody else. You know this, and, and anybody who has like a, a normal life can think about this. Like if you already make, uh, whatever your salary is, let's say, let's say you got a, a nice six figure salary and you get a 10% raise. Like your life might change a little bit, but you're probably just going to spend that money. It's not going to change that much. That's kind of what it's like for Alabama or Florida. You know, they're going to get a little bit more money. It's going to continue to grow. But for a school like Ole Miss, we're talking about just 50% increased revenue on what they're actually doing already. And what that does is bump up the overall quality of their job to the point where I would have never believed this would ever happen 15 years ago, where a guy like Hugh Freeze can say, thanks but no thanks to Florida because he thinks he can have as much success now at Ole Miss as you could at Florida because the money's there, the support, the facilities are fantastic. And uh, even though I think Florida's the best job in the SEC, all things considered equal, uh, a guy like Hugh Freeze who's got things going pretty well at Ole Miss can say, nah, you know, I don't need to make this uh, move. I can do whatever I'm going to do at, uh, at, at Ole Miss just as well as I could at Florida. And to be fair to the Larry Scott, I mean, I think there's been an inflow of cash for all the Pac-12 schools and you're seeing, you know, even the Washington states and the Oregon states, everyone's kind of redoing their facilities. They've all gone out and hired, you know, top coaches. I mean, up and down the Pac-12, there's a lot of great coaches now. Everyone's upgrade, you know, they're trying to keep up with Oregon, I guess you could say on the facility side, but there has been an influx of money. But I think, you know, as we keep, you know, creep further and further along, there could be a, a pretty big gap between what the SEC and the Big Ten is making. And the Pac-12, even though they're making more money, they're not going to be making near what those other schools would make. Yeah, and you know what? The reality could be that the amount of money is not going to matter that much because it's funny, here in Nashville, you know, we, uh, I spend a decent amount of time at the uh, Tennessee Titans facility, and their weight room is total crap compared to the University of Tennessee's weight room, <laughs> uh, new weight room, which is funny, right? I mean, yeah. you've got guys in that locker room who make $120 million total or whatever it is uh, to play NFL football. 
and the University of Tennessee facilities dwarf them. And kind of what you end up with in college football because of the fact that you can't play the, uh, pay the players, at least legally, is you have all this money rolling in, and it has to be used in kind of a peripheral fashion. So these guys are all worth a certain amount of money, but instead of giving them money, your your weight rooms are incredible, and you got juice bars, and your your swim facilities, and your rehabilitation areas are all as good or better than actual NFL franchises at times. Uh, I mean, it's crazy, but if you left, uh, there's been guys uh, here in recent history who have been drafted by the uh, the Tennessee Titans, and when they come to the NFL, they're like, man, the facilities were so much better in college. <laughs> and I think that's kind of where the arms race money is going uh, because, again, you have to spend that money on kind of the, 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 the tertiary uh, uh, elements as opposed to just going directly to the guys and saying, like you would in the NFL, okay, Des Bryant, you're worth $15 million a year. Here you go. Uh, at Oklahoma State, T. Uh, T Boone Pickens is just uh, building incredible facilities for the Des Bryants of the universe who are just as dominant in college but aren't uh, going pro. And, you know, of course, it's not the end-all, be-all what the facilities are, but it's it's something you can recruit to. And I, I remember, uh, you know, meeting with the, the strength and conditioning coaches at USC back in, like, 2004, 2005, you know, after they, you know, on that, in the middle of that great run when they won championships and stuff. And they, you know, they were promised, they had the worst facilities probably in the top 25, and they were promised, hey, if you win the Pac-12, we'll get you better facilities. And, you know, they did and they didn't. And if you can win a championship, we'll give you better facilities. And then they did and they, they didn't upgrade and, they're like, well, why do you need them? You already won a championship. So, you know, they were doing fine without them. But, of course, now you have to be able to do that. They've, they've upgraded a lot. It's still not to the level of an Oregon. But it's, it's it's really impressive. But it seems like if you're not doing that for any school across the country, you're falling behind. Even like the Mountain West schools and, the you know, the other five the, the from the outer five conference or whatever they call it, those schools have to kind of upgrade yeah. too. Cause. I think, you know, it's funny. You look at coaching, and I think coaching matters more than anything, right? Your head coach. And, for instance, the SEC West, all seven guys are fantastic coaches. I mean, I, I and if you just were, like, doing a coaching draft, I mean, I think you'd take Nick Saban. But you think about that. Nick Saban, uh, Gus Malzahn, who almost won a national title in his first year and really kind of did win Auburn a national title when he was the offensive coordinator there. You got Hugh Freeze, who's having success never seen before at Ole Miss. Dan Mullen, who had freaking Mississippi State number one in the country and got him up to 10-0 and or whatever their uh, their record was. Uh, in, in the midst of uh, the season last year, you've got, um, a, a crazy kind of situation in Arkansas where Brett Bielema, who's one of the most successful Big Ten coaches of his era, bails. Kevin Sumlin's a five million guy at Texas A&M and everybody forgets about Les. And without Nick Saban coming back to college football, Les Miles may well have won two or three national championships instead of one. Same thing, Pac-12 South. Like, where's the weak link there in the Pac-12 South and also in the Big Ten East? Somebody has to lose. Those are the three best divisions to me in terms of coaching. And all three of them, I don't think it's a coincidence that there's been a large influx of money and everybody's realizing the best way to spend money is to try to get the best coach you can. But everybody also forgets that somebody's got to lose. I mean, somebody's going to come in last in the SEC West and the Pac-12 South uh, and probably still be a really, really good football team. And one last thing before we let you go, Clay, I really appreciate you taking out some time. I know you're just getting back from uh, SEC media days. Pac-12 media days are coming up. Only only two days we get the Pac-12. There used to be basically a half, but uh, in the SEC, it's four days. I think you guys have a golf tournament. It's kind of crazy. Uh, what's it like kind of down there, that that crazy media circus? Well, it's it, it, that crazy is probably the best adjective to describe uh, the, the environment. Um, it, there are 1,200 people this year, I believe, uh, covering the SEC. And they've got it on television full time on the SEC network. They're covering it on ESPN as well. It's a, it's a zoo. And, uh, 
you know, you know, it's unique and interesting a little bit because any news that actually happens is immediately tweeted by 250 or 300 people um, who are sitting there in the room at least, and it's already digested. And writing about things that happen there is very difficult. But to me, it's the unofficial kickoff of college football season and football season in general. Because once you get done with this at four days now, craziness of SEC media days, it seems like July gets done in a real hurry. And the next thing you know, uh, August is there. Guys are going into camp, and uh, you start to count down uh, the days until the actual toe meets leather. And so I think it's an experience everybody needs to have at some point. If you're a sports fan, it's cool to go there and get to see what it's like for Nick Saban, say, to walk into a lobby uh, surrounded by crazy Alabama fans who are either unemployed uh, in general, or take days off of work to just stand in a lobby all day and see Nick Saban. <laughs> it's a way of life in the South that uh, that I think it's it's worth experiencing. I know you married into an SEC fan base, but it really is kind of the lifeblood of a region. It doesn't matter what race, religion, age, occupation you are. The number one thing that unites people across the South, in, in all sincerity, is opinions about SEC football. <laughs> and it's unlike anything else. It's a regional pursuit. Uh, you know, the janitor to the neurosurgeon, um, it's something that connects them and everybody has an opinion. You know, I was, uh, I was watching some of it today and, uh, it seemed like every other question was coming from someone from the Tuscaloosa News. I think they had like a whole team of report. I'm sure they had a whole team of reporters out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it, a lot of it is still print based and you understand why more SEC media days would have existed in the eighties, the nineties, uh, and the early two thousands because you got a lot of teams to cover. And if you just had a newspaper, you might know about your local team, but it's hard to keep tabs on everybody else because you don't see those articles. Nowadays, obviously, everybody's got the Internet and Twitter and, and just follows the different beat writers. So the, the number of the amount of actual news that comes out is, is minimal because all these coaches have so many media availabilities that it's, uh, it's hard for a new story to, uh, to emerge. All right. Well, Clay Travis, you can follow him on Twitter at Clay Travis, B-G-I-D. Uh, you can follow him on OutkickTheCoverage.com. There's a great blog all about college football and, of course, the SEC. And see him on Fox Sports 1, writing for Fox Sports. Clay, th- thanks so much for taking some time and uh, joining us today. Appreciate you guys having me, and I'll see you out in L.A. probably uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, come out to L.A. I, I'm going to be out there for the uh, Tennessee-Oklahoma game. You might be in L.A. that weekend, though, huh? I fly out to L.A. every weekend. I feel like it's almost uh, – the small region of LA that I'm in, which is right by the Fox uh, Fox lot, so I spend a decent amount of time. Everybody at Fox lives in Manhattan Beach, so uh, I spend a decent amount of time down the South Bay too. Uh, but I love it um, and uh, have a good time. And I'm one of the few people who has never had a car in LA, so I've never had to drive in the traffic. So to me, it's uh, kind of like a utopian experience. I hop an Uber and uh, I can walk back and forth to the lot, and I'm like, what does everybody complain about the traffic for? There's never any traffic around. <laughs> cool. We'll have to, my wife and I have to take you out for a drink when you come out next time. But thanks again for coming on, man. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.